Okie dokie. Um, let me go ahead and start by reading our passage for today. Uh, this is from Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 32. So if you have a Bible, please uh, turn with me as we read from God's Word. You left your Bible at home, Grace? Um, when, when, I was, when I was in uh, elementary school, there's a thing called Bible cases. Does anyone remember those? It was like it was like a it was like a rectangular kind of bag that only fits a Bible with a handle. And then mine, I remember, it was like this really ugly maroon color, and it had an, a picture of an eagle on the front from Isaiah forty thirty one, where it says like even young men will uh, run and grow faint, and youths will walk and grow weary, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Um, and rise on wings like eagles. And, and I thought it was so funny because it was like big eagle on my Bible case. And I carried it everywhere. And you know what I would also do with it? I use it to carry my Bible and my Pokemon cards. Anyway, let's read God's word. <laughs> the same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Uh, This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, um, you are here. You are present where we gather. Uh, You are powerful and good. And so I pray, Lord, as we hear from you, uh, we would respond in faith that you would be leading us to wrestle and struggle with you. Um, and that ultimately we would be able to put our hope and trust in you and experience your blessing. Um, So I pray, Lord, that you would bless us, and we're not going to let go of you until you do today. We love you so much and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through our series, um, How God Sets the Lonely in Families. Uh, We've talked about a lot of stuff, but we've been going through this whole series where basically we've said God is someone who cares for those people who are lonely. He is the father of the fatherless, he is defender of widows, and he meets us in our loneliness uh, through inviting us into the life of the Trinity. And, we, and you know, we've preached a lot about the different members of the Trinity and how each one of them gives us a unique way to interact with him. We have a unique relationship with each one of them, and each one of them plays a role. There are three persons, one God, however that works, 
um, but they all play a role in God's redemptive plan, and they relate to us uniquely. Um, We talked about the woman at the well, where Dan preached on how when someone encounters Jesus authentically, uh, they have this incredible reorientation of their values, and it totally changes their inner life. So we saw how the woman at the well, she went from someone who uh, purposely isolated herself from other people out of her shame at what she had done, out of the rejection she had faced from other people who judged and ostracized her. And so she went to the well all by herself, looking for water. But then Jesus sought her out, went to that well, and in a sense, revealed himself to her. And then as a result of that encounter with Jesus, a true encounter with Jesus, she left her water jar at the well. She was so excited to tell everyone about Jesus that she totally forgot what she was there for. She left her water jar there, and she ran off to town to tell people, I met a man who saw everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So her inner life was totally transformed by this relationship with Jesus. And then last week, we looked about this, uh, another example, another case study of a person who encountered uh, God in a way that was incredibly transformative. So we looked at Leah, and Leah is one of the most tragic. She, is, she has one of the most tragic lives in the whole Bible. Um, she is unloved. She has a sibling rivalry with her sister, who is like gorgeous. She's like a supermodel. And Leah has weak eyes, which probably means she either has like cross eyes or protruding eyes, or she can't see very well. But the idea is everyone loved her sister, Rachel, and no one loved Leah. And so she, she experienced her whole life feeling inferior, feeling neglected. And not only that, her own father, Laban, basically used her and tried to get rid of her. So um, there is a man named Jacob, who we've talk, we're talking about in this passage. Uh, Jacob was a trickster. Uh, Jacob was the second born um, of a pair of twins. So Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau came out the womb first. And there, we, we didn't talk about this, but he was a very red, hairy baby. Um, so he had hair all over his body, which is really weird. Like Toby, my son, did not have hair all over his body. Um, but some people do. Some babies do. And when we were watching baby instructional videos before we had Toby, they say some babies have a lot of hair. Esau was one of them. Uh, but during this time, if you were the firstborn, all of the privilege and all of the status would come to you. How many of you are firstborns? Yeah. Well, you don't get all the privilege anymore because our society doesn't run like that. But anyway, um, so the firstborn get the favor. They get the inheritance, a larger share of the inheritance. And in this case, um, the father of Esau and Jacob, Isaac, loved Esau more than Jacob because Jacob, uh, sorry, because Esau was a man's man. He had hair all over him. He was really like big and like red and he loved meat and he would go hunting for meat and was really good at catching meat. And then it's really funny. I mean, this is just like the very first example of like the jock nerd dichotomy where Esau was like a jock. And so he was popular with his father. He's like really good football player. And then Jacob was a nerd. And it says like he stayed in the tents with his mom and he didn't know how to catch food. During this time, that would have been not a great thing, right? It would have been good to be able to provide for your family, but Jacob stayed in the tent. So he was like a mama's boy, and he stayed inside. Um, And so as a result of that, he uh, grew up 
He grew up in, uh, also like Leah, favored, uh, and, sorry, neglected by his father. And we all know what impact that has if parents show favoritism. So if you've ever, if, if you're a kid, even if your parents don't favor one over the other, if you ever get that thought in your head, like it feels like sometimes my parents love my sibling more than me, that is an absolutely devastating feeling to deal with. And that was Jacob's life experience. So then Jacob was looking to fill this inner emptiness, and he went off to Laban, who was his uh, mother's brother, and wanted to marry this beautiful woman named Rachel. And so he worked for seven years so that he could marry Rachel. And then this is where we get back to Leah and Laban. And do you know what Laban did? When instead of, uh, when the wedding would have happened, the, the woman would have been veiled, and so Laban, rather than giving him Rachel, stuck Leah in the, the wedding garment, the outfit, and Jacob actually slept with, as was their custom, Leah rather than Rachel. Now, what was going on with Laban and Leah? Um, Laban was pulling a terrible, terrible, terrible joke on not only Jacob, but on, also on Leah, because Jacob, or sorry, because Laban was making her marry someone who didn't love her and didn't want her. Can you imagine what hell that would be? Where your beautiful sister, and then eventually uh, Jacob works seven more years so that Rachel can also be his wife. And so Laban has created a situation where Leah and Rachel are married to the same man, and it says that Jacob. Uh, basically loved Rachel. And then the Lord saw that Leah was hated. And then he opened up her womb and he start, she started to uh, give birth to children. Um, and so last time we saw how this is a completely, uh, can, like what can fix the brokenness and dysfunction of this family? What could possibly do that? How could Leah, someone who is ugly and unloved, and when I say ugly, I'm not trying to like hate on her. I'm just saying, no one loved her. She wasn't attractive to people, not even her husband. She even gave birth to son after son after son, and still her husband didn't love her because her husband loved Rachel. And this is the incredible thing, where God is so loving and good and powerful that having a relationship with him can actually transform the life of someone who is so lonely and neglected and give them hope for their life. And after Leah has her fourth kid, Judah, she says, this time I will praise the Lord, where she's able to say, despite the horrible circumstances that people, that men have put me in, my, my own father, my own husband, they've neglected me, they've hated me, they've abused me, and yet God is not like them. God sees my suffering, God hears my pain, and he brings me to a place where I can praise him. Um, this is what is possible if you have a true, authentic relationship with God, and this is how God meets us in our loneliness. Now, this time, we're going to talk about what it looks like to encounter God truly, okay? This is a really, really cool story where we've kind of moved on. We've skipped a bunch of the story, but basically, Leah and Rachel have a competition to see who can have the most kids. Um, it's really nasty. It's really terrible and dysfunctional. Um, honestly, the only analogy we have to this is uh, there are certain fundamentalist parts of uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints that practice polygamy. 
And so there have been some shows online, or on, uh, not online, on TV, like reality shows, where there are Mormons who have multiple wives. And there's just drama and pain and difficulty ensues. And in, nowhere, in no place does God, um, basically, these people are a case study where God is saying, Marriage is between one person. Like, you just marry one person. You don't have multiple wives. That is not a recipe for success. That's not how God designed marriage. Um, and so uh, Leah and Rachel had this competition to see who could have more kids. And then eventually, um, Jacob and Laban, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. But eventually, Jacob wins and gets a bunch of wealth from Laban. And then he has a desire to go back home to his family, to Isaac, to his mother, um, because he has a bunch of kids, right? So he's like, where do I want to settle down? Now that I have a family, I don't want to live in this foreign country. I want to bring them home to my family. And here's the problem. When Jacob tricked Esau and stole the blessing from him, Esau basically said, Jacob, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. And so this is where Jacob is. Jacob wants to come home. He wants to be reconciled to his brother, but his brother is a jock. His brother is easily angered, and he's not only that, he's murderous, where he's saying, like, if you ever show your face again. Because if you think about it, when, he, when uh, Jacob tricked uh, Isaac to steal the blessing, I mean, that's a whole story that we're not going to get into much, but basically it was a very rude, offensive thing to do, and it would have enraged Isaac. It would have enraged Esau. And so Jacob desperately desired approval from his dad and was willing to trick his dad to just get a little bit of it, right? Um, So then eventually, so then eventually, uh, Jacob has kids, had a bunch of wealth, and he was going to go back to his family, uh, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen with Esau, okay? So can you, like, this is, can you imagine, like, have you guys ever had a really uncomfortable family dinner or Thanksgiving? where there are two people who have beef and it's like right before the dinner and you're like, what's going to happen with that person and that person? Or it's like your friend group at school, two of your friends have drama with each other and you, and then like at lunch, you always meet at the same table at lunch. You're like, are those two people going to be there? I have no clue what's going to happen. You're kind of anxious, kind of worried. This is what's going on with Jacob where he's like, I'm bringing my family. I'm bringing all my my cattle, my oxen, like my wealth, I'm bringing it, I'm going home, and I have no clue if my brother is going to accept me or not. And so he starts to do a lot of different things. Um, if you look at verse 20, uh, if you look at verse 20, uh, this is actually a really important thing. So he starts to scheme. He basically says, okay, maybe if I bribe him, maybe if I make the first show of reconciliation, he'll accept me, he won't kill me, he won't like kill my kill my family and take my stuff. And so he sends, it's really genius. This is what Jacob is like. He's a planner. He is a preparer. And he has, he's always has schemes going on. So he basically says, I'm going to send three waves of things. I'm going to send him a bunch of like oxen, right? And my servants will go with the sheep and the cattle, whatever it is, the livestock. Um, and then when you go to him, say, look, I'm coming back home. Take all of this like good stuff. Like take all of these presents. Maybe you'll reconcile with me. And then, he'll, and then the servants will say, Jacob is coming in the next train, right? The next group of people and cattle, Jacob's going to be in that one. And then when the next group comes, Jacob's not in that one. It's more presents for Esau, right? 
You see what he's doing? He's really trying to like butter him up. So not one group of cattle in presence, not two groups of cattle in presence, but three groups of cattle in presence, and then finally Jacob is going to come. And then he says this. He thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Can you see where Jacob's mind is at? Everything about him is concentrated on this problem where Esau, he doesn't know what's going to happen, and he's trying to control his circumstances so that Esau doesn't kill him. Um, But then what happens, and this is where we get into our text for today. So it's at nighttime, and it's really interesting. The same night he arose and took his two wives. So this is really interesting. It says that Jacob is so distressed and afraid of Esau that he can't sleep. Right? And I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we're worried about a test or we have like finals or you know, like a big job interview or whatever stressful situation you're in. Uh, you're so worried and so focused on the problem, you can't sleep. And so Jacob is basically like, he, I, I imagine him just like pacing, right? Like I'm a pacer. When, I'm, when I get stressed out, like sometimes I just like walk and, and walking really helps me to think. It helps me to process through what's going on. I kind of imagine that's what Jacob is doing. So then we come to this passage where he takes and sends his family across the stream and everything else he had, that's verse 23, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the, of the day. So the first thing I want us to see is um, this encounter with God is paradigmatic. You like that word? Um, this, this encounter that Jacob has with God is a pattern. And we can see marks of true encounters with God by the way that God encounters Jacob in this passage. Okay? And so when you read this, what's really interesting is Jacob's encounter with God and his, in a sense, conversion experience has a lot in common with other conversion experiences all throughout the Bible and also all throughout like testimonies, where it's like if you've heard the story of someone who has become a Christian, there are often these same marks. It's not perfect. There might be exceptions to this, but I think these are actually really useful because this is how our knowledge about God, where we've talked a lot about the Trinity. We've talked a lot about these propositions about God's love for us. God seeks to adopt us into his family. God loves us so much he sent Jesus to die for us. God atones for our sin so that we can be reconciled with him. All of that stuff is important truth that we must know in our heads. You have to know and understand it. But encounters with God, true encounters with God, are something that is more than that. It is not uh, the, the logical term, it's necessary but not sufficient. You need, you need both knowledge of God, but you also need this encounter with God. And we're going to look at some of the marks of God, uh, marks of encountering God, um, so that you guys can sort of examine yourself. This is something I feel really passionately about because I was raised in church, I grew up in a youth group, and I know what it's like to be kids. Um, you guys go to church, and some of you believe in God, some of you don't, but in general, your relationship with God is not alone. What I mean is, your relationship with God depends so much on the faith of your parents or the faith of your friends. You go to church not necessarily because you have encountered God. Um, You go because your parents want you to, and that's good. That's actually really good. But there's this thing that happens when you truly encounter God, 
where God gets you alone, the same way that Jacob was alone, and Jacob wrestled with this man that eventually we find out was God. God gets you alone. Uh, When you grow up in church, uh, it is very easy for you to assent mentally to all the truths about Christianity, but you have never encountered God in this personal, intimate way. And so I want you to examine yourself. This is how it goes from knowledge about God to an experience and intimate relationship with God. This is how you get there. This is, and, and so there are many people, like, honestly, this is the reason why many Christians are uh, kind of like, like jerks. You know, people who say they're Christian, they can be jerks. They can be like, they can be all about the truth, but then they show no grace to anyone around them. And people who believe in different things in them, they just condescend, they look down on them. Um, The reason for that, I believe, some of that is theological, some of that is, you know, all this other stuff, but a lot of it is they've never truly met God personally. They think that being a Christian is knowing the right stuff, having the right positions on political issues. Um, It's about having the right morals. This is right. This is wrong. All of those things, I would say, are implications of the gospel and implications of what scripture says, and God wants us to follow those things. But at the core of Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is where it gets weird. It gets supernatural. It doesn't make sense. When we meet and gather together, God is present. God is here. And when God really wants to reach you and get your attention, he can do it in a group. But often, he often does do it in a group. But what happens in, when you're in the group is all of a sudden you feel like there is a target on you and God is personally dealing with you. So you could be in a crowd of people who are all singing, but all of a sudden, like, it's almost like the crowd kind of fades away, the music fades away, and it's like you and God are there alone together. This might happen when you're reading scripture. It might happen in prayer. But this is at the very heart of the Christian life where you have a personal relationship with God and you are alone with God. And he brings you to a place where you encounter him um, in a way that is, this word is kind of weird, but tangible, okay? And let's look at this encounter with God. Now, before I go into the next part, I just want to ask you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? All of the stories that I tell, you know, when I was the emo kid out in the rain, failing my physics class, Uh, like all of the examples I've told from my life, these are moments where I have encountered God personally. And that's what I feel it is. I mean, I could be wrong. It could just be like an illusion or like a psychological phenomenon. I I believe it is true. And I believe I actually encounter God and he he relates to me. Have you ever experienced that? If you haven't, that's okay. We'll get to what I think you should do if that's the case. But let's look at the next mark of a true encounter with God. Um, So Jacob is alone with God. The next thing you see is God gets tangible to Jacob. Okay? And so it says in this next verse, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, this is really crazy. Uh, how many of you has do, in PE do they ever do wrestling anymore? Can you raise your hand if you've ever done wrestling in PE? No, anyone? 
Has anyone ever seen like WWE, like World Wrestling Federation, or like, you know, it's like that fake thing where there are all those gigantic steroid users who wear costumes and they're like, rawr, rawr. no one. Okay, it's, it's too old. Ken knows. A few people know. Um, when I was in sixth grade, our school, our middle school actually had a really good wrestling program. And there is a guy named Mr. Heinrich, who was this guy who was probably like five foot five. He had like a military cut and he was like, he was very small but he was super duper buff and jacked. Like he, he, his, his biceps were like as big as his head. And he was, he was like a professional. I mean, it felt like he might've wrestled in college or whatever it was, but he had been coaching wrestling at our school for years and years, probably 30 years. This is like the equivalent of Mr. Janice for um, Bret Hart, right? Where it's like, this guy is to wrestling as Mr. Janice is to basketball, where he trains hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids over years and years and years. And so I remember learning how to wrestle, and wrestling is so incredibly, like, feral. Or, like, I'm trying to think of a word. It's primitive. It's, like, close contact. It's, like, violent. You, like, pick the dude up and you throw him, or you're, like, struggling and you're sweating on each other, and it's really crazy, right? That's what wrestling is. And the difference between wrestling in PE class and this kind of wrestling is when Jacob is wrestling, he basically thinks he's getting mugged, right? Can you imagine what it would be like? You're pacing in the middle of the night. You're like, this Esau guy is going to get me. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps on you, and you're wrestling with him. And so this is not just play wrestling. This is not a competition or a sport. This is life or death. And wrestling is horrible. So like, there are, if, you, if you watch action movies... Um, this is like that part where they're like punching each other, blah, 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 blah. They're like, they, like they hit their, they're like using their swords. They hit their swords against each other and then they both fly away. And they're like, okay, now I'm going to punch you. And then the end, the conclusion is always, it goes even past fit, like fist, fisticuffs to like you grab the person, you're on the floor, you have them in a chokehold and you're rolling around. They're like trying to poke your eyes, trying to get you off of them. And, but you have them in a, in a uh, chokehold and who's going to win? This is what it's like wrestling with God. Now, this is what it's like a true encounter with God. What's different about this is in the woman at the well passage, it says that God is spirit and worshipers in spirit, uh, true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jacob wrestling with God, this theophany, which means a God appearance in physical form, uh, is like what it's like for us to encounter God personally and wrestle with him. So this happens in, I would say, a more, um, in a more spiritual way. It doesn't happen in the same tangible way, but at the same time, it's tangible. Okay? So one example of this wrestling that I've, I, I experienced when I was in college was I was struggling a lot with a relationship I had. And as a result of that, I was extremely depressed um, I was even getting really randomly angry. I don't know if anyone has ever experienced that, where um, I, would, I would do a lot of like running, long distance running. Um, I would run maybe like five miles uh, a few times a week. And there was one time where I was running back uh, through the school to my dorm, and there were like cars parked on the side. And I was all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I wasn't even thinking about anything. All of a sudden, I felt so angry, I wanted to punch in the window of the car. And I don't know if that surprises you, because... If I were you, I would not think I'm a super like angry or violent person, and I would say I'm not, but at this time, I was just really struggling with this relationship and angry, and I would say I was even bitter at God for allowing things to happen the way they did, and 
this is what I did. I felt like God was absent. I felt like God wasn't coming through for me. And so I basically said, God, I'm going to give you a chance to show up. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to do all the things that I believe a person who's a Christian should do. I'm going to read the Gospels over and over again to try to encounter Jesus. Like, Jesus, are you actually real? Are you going to make yourself known to me? And then I read C.S. Lewis books. I listened to Tim Keller sermons. And I did this, like, like all the time. This was the most important thing in the world to me. And so I, like, like I, I went to class, but I didn't really pay attention to class because I was so concerned about this question, God, are you real? I'm going to wrestle with you until you show up. And if you don't show up, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. That's how serious it felt. Now, I don't, I don't think I actually truly meant I would like abandon the faith if he didn't show up, but that's how desperate I felt. That's how life or death it felt to me, to be alone with God, to wrestle with him. That's what it's like to encounter God. And I would say, you can grow up in church. You can go to all the different things. You go to Mexico, you go to youth retreat, you go to Sunday service, you go to youth group, whatever it is. You can do all of those things, and yet the mark of true encounters with God is God becomes tangible to you in this way, where you really feel like someone is out there trying to get your attention. And this is really interesting. There are many people in the world, not Christian, who have had these same sense, sense uh, experiences where they, there's some kind of transcendent like connection with something bigger than them. Um, and I believe that that's God uh, reaching out to people. Uh, and so, th- th- like, th- th- so the first thing, okay, so God gets you alone, Uh, God gets you tangible. God wrestles with Jacob. And the next thing we see is true marks of encounter with God. Um, I would say God breaks you. (laughs) God breaks you. This is what it means to encounter God. It's very possible to wrestle with God uh, where you say, God, I I am going to force you to give me what I really want. And I am not going to let you have your way where you're basically like, God, I want my way. I want my way. I'm only going to be happy if you give me this one thing. You're not giving it to me. What's up, God? Why aren't you doing that? And at some point, like Jacob, when he's wrestling God, God breaks you. So let's look at what happens. Uh, The man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So this is crazy, right? We, We don't know how long this was, but wrestling is so incredibly intense that they have very short rounds, right? Like, when, when I was in middle school, I think they only had, like, three rounds, and maybe there were a few minutes each, because it takes so much energy to wrestle. And so they were wrestling in the dirt, in the mud, for hours and hours and hours. And they had wrestled to a standstill where neither person could win. Um, and then the day started to break, so the sun started to rise um, on the horizon. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So up until this point, Jacob probably thought that he was evenly matched with this man. And up to this point, it seemed like both of them were trying really hard to win the wrestling match. But at this point, God starts to reveal himself, right? There's something really crazy that happens where he just touches his hip, and then where it says the Jacob's hip was put out of joint, it basically means his hip was annihilated. So his hip was ground into dust, and he couldn't do anything. Can you imagine for a second, has anyone had like a hip replacement surgery? Or does it, can you imagine for a second what it would be like to not be able to use your hip? Do you know what that would mean? You can't do anything. 
you can't walk on that leg, right? Your hip is like everything. You, you use your hip to kick water bottles. No, you do, your hip is everything. And without it, you're nothing. You can't do anything. Um, and this is really incredible um, because when God really encounters us, we're humbled and we're broken into the dust. And what it looks like is my self-will, like my control of my life. Jacob was so self-reliant. He was such a, what do you call it, conniving, or like that's kind of a mean word, but he was pretty conniving, which means he could manipulate his circumstances in order to get his way. In so many different situations, he got what he wanted, and he would trick people, he would work hard, he would use all of his different means at his disposal to get what he wanted, and so he felt self-reliant. He was afraid of Esau, but he's like, okay, I'm afraid of Esau killing me, but let me think, what are the strategies I can use to reconcile with Esau? But then when he comes face-to-face with God here, when he's wrestling with God, he realizes, I got nothing. I got nothing. This guy is completely more powerful than I am. He just touches my hip, and my my hip is annihilated, right? Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. So Jacob is still wrestling with him even after his hip got broken, which is pretty crazy. This is how tenacious Jacob is. And the man says, let me go. The day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Um, So this is a really, really crazy thing. We've talked a lot about the wrestling with God. Um, What I want you to notice is as a result of Jacob's encounter with God, his priorities have changed completely. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? What was Jacob's primary concern and worry? It was Esau. Then what was his primary concern and worry? This guy's trying to kill me. His, His priorities changed dramatically when he's getting mugged by God right? And then he says, even after his hip is broken, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this would have been really, really crazy for the original readers, because when we learn that this is God, when we learn that this is God, like, like Jacob is no longer gripped by his fear of Esau. He doesn't talk about his wife and his, his children. He doesn't say like, oh, is, is Esau going to accept, like, you know, is Esau going to kill my wife and kids and steal my cattle? Um, he's not even focused on the physical pain of his hip dying. Um, and he's not even afraid of death. Because what's crazy here is the original audience would have known, um, basically, you cannot see God face to face. And so when, when the sun was rising... Uh, Esau was protected from the glory and holiness of God by the darkness. But then when the sun started to rise, he would have seen God face to face. And when someone sees God face to face, they burn to a crisp. And it says in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. Where if there is no one in between you and God, there is nothing in between you and God. Um, God, his holiness and his perfect righteousness um, basically will we'll burn sinful beings into a crisp. And yet, Jacob says, I don't care about that. I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me. And the word blessing here is really incredible because when Jacob was tricking his dad earlier on, he tricked his dad so he could get the blessing and approval of his dad. Later on, he wanted the blessing and approval of Laban so he could have, his, uh, so he could have Rachel as his wife. And then right here, right before this, he wants more than anything the approval and blessing of Esau. But right here, all of that fades to nothing because his priority 
and this is a mark of the true encounter with God, none of those priorities are important anymore. They all are relative compared to God and the blessing. And he says, if I don't have any of that, I don't care what happens to me with Esau. I don't care if I die. I don't care that I'm in pain because my hip is out of joint. I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Do you guys know what that's like in your relationship with God? I honestly think we need this so much right now. With the pandemic, with all of the difficulties we're facing, when like we need this uh, tenacity about clinging to God and saying, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. And the other thing is, um, God is actually willing to give him the blessing, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't fight him. He says, okay, and then he blesses him. And that's really, really inc- um, incredible. Um, have you had this encounter, kind of encounter with God, where all of a sudden you're alone with God? All of a sudden God is tangible in a weird way? You have a sense of God personally dealing with you? Have you wrestled with God? And this could be intellectual wrestling. It could be emotional wrestling. It could be just like struggling to pray, struggling to understand. Like, God, why don't you show up when I pray? Why don't I have a sense of your presence? Um, All of that is wrestling with God. And that is actually a mark of truly encountering God, where you say, I want this blessing, God. What do we need right now? I think we need tenacity when it comes to wrestling and holding on to God until he blesses us. What does this look like? When I, during the pandemic, uh, there, there were many times uh, due to like all the terrible stuff that's happened in our church um, and all of the stresses and anxieties and being isolated and going through a lot of transitions where I felt like God had abandoned me and I felt alone. And I have experienced that in the past, but never to this degree. And I wonder if many of us feel that way for one reason or another where God feels absent. And it's almost like a collective abandonment that we feel, where all of our circumstances that, like, everything felt like it was going fine, all of a sudden, like, a bomb drops, and, like, everything goes to hell, right? With the pandemic, with my school, with everything, my relationships. And this is the thing. It's wrestling with God. Like, we are in a place where we have this this option. Am I going to let go of God? Am I going to be satisfied? And this is one of the most dangerous things that I think can happen. Am I going to be satisfied with superficial Christianity? Am I going to be satisfied with superficial church going and superficial prayer and superficial Bible reading? I think that's what's happening. Where our, our tendency is to say, like, I'm just going to show up. If you, like, either I'm not going to come. Or if I show up, I'm not really going to wrestle. I'm not going to really put effort. I'm tired. You know, my life is busy. God's not that important, is he? That's kind of how we feel. That's how we functionally treat God, isn't it, often? And what's so amazing is God is really, really gentle with us. God is really gentle. When he responds, like, if we just ask him, if we just cling to him and say, God, will you bless me? God, will you make yourself real to me by your Holy Spirit when I read, when I pray? I truly believe God will respond. And I've experienced that in my life. Like, I really believe this is true because God blesses Jacob when Jacob holds on to him. And so if you're a Christian now and if you feel like God is far from you, I just want to challenge you. Wrestle. Don't let go of him. 
And I actually take this really seriously. This is something I've been trying to put into practice. Um, do you guys know the difference between superficial prayer and real prayer? In superficial prayer, now I'm, I'm not trying to say like, like this is probably not a terrible thing to do, um, but there, there's a type of prayer where basically I'm worried about something, and so all, the only extent of my prayer is praying to God so we can fix my problem, right? You guys know what that's like, right? So this is like Jacob prays to God that Esau would be reconciled with him. But it's kind of using God. And God is actually not, uh, God actually allows us to do this and pray for things that we need and want. But there's a difference between superficially praying to God and asking him to fix everything and actually treating him like a person. Where you treat someone with respect and you want to talk to them and you want to share your life with them. Like if the only, if the only way I interacted with my wife was to say, Ashley, I have a problem. Can you solve my problem? And I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just, I just want, she's, a, she's really, really capable and, and competent. So she can solve a lot of my problems better than I can. But if that's the only way I relate to her, is that a real relationship? We can tend to relate to God in this way where our prayers are superficial. But then how do you get through that superficiality? It is wrestling. And this is something I've tried to practice, where every single day, I am trying, I'm not always succeeding, but I'm trying to pray God to, like, and get to a place where I, I realize and recognize the truth that God is there and I'm actually praying to someone. And that feels different. But you have to go through this like cloud, this like darkness to get there. But the crazy thing is if you don't let go, like so if you guys were to pray this, if you don't believe in God, if you were to pray this, I think really interesting things would happen. If you don't believe in God, um, if you're a, I don't believe in God, if you're I don't know if I believe in God, if you're a, I do know I believe in God, if you pray this prayer, um, I think interesting stuff will happen where you say, God, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. I want you to reveal yourself to me. And then if you don't let go, which means you keep on going after him and you do that through the means that God has ordained. Uh, people call this like the means of grace or the ordinances of grace, where gathering together in worship, this is God bestowing his grace upon us and God reminding us of his presence with us. When you read scripture, it's not just a checklist. It's not just a chore to do. It's not like brushing your teeth. Do you read scripture until the word of God comes alive to you? And you actually have a sense that God is speaking truth to me and changing me and dealing with me. I would almost rather no one comes to Bible study. Honestly, I would rather no one comes. This may this is an exaggeration, but sometimes it's how I feel. I would rather no one come to Bible study rather than a bunch of people come who aren't trying to engage with scripture in this way. Where God is here. God is speaking through his word and we're not going to leave until we understand what he's saying and how it applies to us. And it's this burning desire to see God face to face. It's not superficial prayer. It's so easy if you've grown up in the church. Not superficial scripture reading. Not superficial service where I as a preacher, whatever you're doing in church, it's so possible to be so busy doing stuff for God that you don't realize he's there with you. You're just doing stuff for him and you never talk to him. That's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that picture? That's not authentic. 
It's not an authentic encounter with God. You're just placating him with your religious service. And this is where Jesus condemns the Pharisees in the New Testament. Um, In the Old Testament, the prophets condemn the religious people. We're so busy doing religious stuff that we are missing the person who is the heart of all of it. Why do we pray to talk to God? Why do we read scripture to hear from God? Why do we sing to sing to God, to praise him, to to rehearse the truth about God's reality and presence to us? This is what it means to wrestle with God. Have you experienced this? And if you haven't, what do you do? (laughs) What do you do? The, The most incredible thing about this whole passage to me, and as I was reading this, it just came alive to me, is how this whole encounter is a picture of who God is and his character, where in a small way, Jacob was able to, able to see who God is. God is gracious. Jacob was a very imperfect person. He was super duper messed up to Leah, among, amongst other people. He was messed up to his dad. He was messed up to his brother. He was messed up to Laban in some ways. But God was with him, and God was gracious to him, where he didn't annihilate him completely. He only annihilated him to the point where he could get Jacob's attention and humble him to the point where Jacob could have a new identity and a new name and be completely transformed. You get me? From this point on, Jacob walked with a limp. From this point on, he could never forget this encounter he had with God, and he was forever traumatized. He was forever traumatized in a good way by this encounter with God. Do you know what this is like? How do you get to the point where God is not just, God is not just someone you talk about, but God is someone you talk to? Um, you see this revelation of God where the weirdest thing, this person, let me ask you a question. Is this person who Jacob is wrestling, is it a man or is it God? What do you think? Grace. (laughs) It's really interesting because initially it seems to be a man, but then it turns out to be God. And this is why it's a Christophany. This is so incredible. This is God revealing his graciousness to Jacob. This is God revealing the way that God changes us. And it's, guess what? It's through suffering. God transforms us through suffering. God reveals himself through the God-man. And so this is actually a picture of Jesus Christ where Jesus Christ, this is foreshadowing when God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, Jesus Christ who is perfectly God and perfectly man, and Jesus Christ who is the perfect revelation of God's character. You see the grace of God in this, where Jacob clings to God and says, until you bless me, I'm not going to let go. Well, guess what? If you don't know God, God has already taken the initiative. In this passage, who takes the initiative in starting the wrestling match? Is it you? Is it Jacob? Or is it God? Jacob's the one who gets jumped by God. And this is what God does. God actually initiates. When Jacob has no interest in spiritual things, God wrestles him and gets his attention and points him towards blessing, spiritual blessing. And the same thing is true about God, where I wonder if in this very moment, God is reaching out to you and saying, do you want my blessing? Do you want to know me? It comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus Christ is loving, and he wants to know you and bring healing. Are you going to wrestle? 
are you going to respond to God in that way where you say, okay, God, I have a long way to go. Like I, Daniel, have a long way to go. I want to keep on wrestling with you until you continue to bless me. Um, one of our issues is the moment it becomes hard, we give up. And this is a tendency if you're young, but it's also a tendency for older people like me, where when things get difficult, when God feels far, does your prayer life dissipate? And for some of you, maybe your prayer life has been dissipated for a long time, for maybe years. I believe there are people who go to church every Sunday who haven't talked to God in a long time. And I want to ask you, are you willing to cling to God and beseech him and implore him, God, will you bless me? And the incredible thing is, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. God promises that he is real and that he will reward us when we seek him which means God is not that hard like that song. God is not that hard to find. When we seek him, he is joyful in responding to us the way a parent is so joyful when their kid asks for something. He's not holding it back, but we are holding ourselves back from him often. And so I want to challenge you. Do you know that? Do you realize that? That's one thing we can do if you don't believe in God. Uh, Don't let go until until you experience this blessing. Read scripture, pray, do it alone, do it with other people. Like, there are so many people in our church who would love to pray with you and read scripture with you. I would love to read the gospels with you. Just had a kid, very busy. I will make time for you if you want to read the Bible with me. And that's always like, honestly, that's the, one of the things I get most excited about. Whenever anyone wants to read the Bible with me, I will do it. I will do it. And you guys can hold me to that. If you are not sure if you know God or not, don't let go of him until he blesses you. And this means taking seriously your soul. This means taking seriously your relationship with God, where you have to say, do I have a right relationship with you, God? Can I come before you, and do I understand that I can come before you freely based on the gospel, not based on how good I am, not based on my religious service, but based only on what Jesus did on the cross? And then God will welcome you with open arms. That's what grace is. All of this struggling that I'm talking about is, um, it's just an uh, honest response to God's initiating grace and love. And then finally, if you're already a Christian, you know you're Christian, but you haven't been clinging to God, it's so easy and simple, but it's so hard at the same time. Return to him. Say, God, I need you. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. When we have inner emptiness, we were talking about Leah last time. We're talking about Jacob here. He has inner emptiness. He desires approval from everyone. He wrestles with people so that they will approve of him and bless him. But his priorities are changed when he truly encounters God. And all of a sudden, this question, is God real? Will he bless me? Can I be reconciled to him? Those are the most important questions you can ask when you have this encounter with God. God is so gracious And this is the most incredible thing. Jacob calls this place Peniel, which means face-to-face, which means, and he says basically, um, uh, I've seen God face-to-face, and yet my life has been delivered. Where in Jesus Christ, when you come to God in Jesus Christ, uh, you can see God face-to-face, you can have that personal relationship with him, and he will transform you into the likeness of Christ, where 
our issue, I really believe this. When the, the New Testament talks about how we behold God, we behold Christ face to face, and then our face starts to shine, we start to be transformed in the likeness of Christ and conformed to the image of Christ. What's wrong with our church, what's wrong with our churches, what's wrong with me, is I don't see him face to face. I don't seek him. And as a result of that, I am unchanged. I, my life doesn't have the radiance and joy of being face to face with my heavenly father every day. And that's why I can be angry and bitter. That's why I can be selfish and unloving to, to my family, even the people I love. It's because I'm not seeing him face to face. I'm not wrestling with him. By Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled to God. Are you reconciled to God? Are you wrestling with God? Through wrestling with God will come his blessing. And then the other thing is, God acts first. God took the initiative before we, we went towards him at all. God sent Jesus Christ so that we could be forgiven and saved and reconciled to God. Have you responded to God? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that through Christ, we can pray to you right now. I pray for the people who don't know you, that you would reach out to them, that you would be bringing them to a place where they can seriously um, have these questions, they can seriously wrestle with the intellectual credibility of Christianity, the emotional, the spiritual, um, and that they would come to know and trust you. And you, God, you know exactly where they're at. You know their hearts, and you cater to their life circumstances in a way to get their attention. I pray, Lord, that they would be attentive to you and be able to respond to you, and that you would use um, our church even to um, help the, uh, guide people to know you and trust you. I pray for those of us who don't know if we're Christian. Um, I pray that you would give reassurance and you would help people examine themselves so that they could know the truth. Um, and ultimately, uh, they would be assured of their relationship with you and the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. Um, I pray for those of us who are struggling, that we would cling to you and be tenacious until you bless us. I pray for you, Lord, that we would not be superficial in our dealing with you, that Sunday service would not be just stuff to do, but it would be encountering you and knowing that you promise to show up when we gather together that you love to respond and to heal us and to feed us and nourish us in the ways we need to get through the week. I pray, Lord, you would restore to us the joy of our salvation and that you would bless us in the ways we need uh, so that we would be able to have endurance um, and even just have new joy in talking to you and praying to you and reading from your word. We desperately need your spirit to make uh, this real to us we desperately need your grace. Um, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.